Hello, and welcome to episode 110 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast where two friends stopped arguing about movies and started working through them together. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. For this episode, we're talking about one of our favorite movies from last year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The surprise hit from directing duo Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, collectively known as The Daniels. We both loved this movie upon first seeing it, but we also knew that we had a lot to think about before we could really say what it meant to us. We thought the lead up to the Oscars was a great time to revisit the beautiful multiverse that Daniels created. On paper, a movie as complex and wild as Everything Everywhere All at Once shouldn't have been as big a hit as it has become. But audiences flocked to see it, critics raved about it, and to date, Everything Everywhere All at Once has grossed over $107 million worldwide. Also improbable for a movie released early in the year, it leads this year's Oscars with 11 nominations, and stars Michelle Yeoh and Ki Hui Kwan are strong bets for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor. But in all that craziness, what is going on in Everything Everywhere all at once? And can we talk about it without getting sucked into a bagel? Keep listening. She's been building something. We thought it was some sort of black hole, but it appears to consume more than just light and matter. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know what it's for, but we can all feel it. You've been feeling it too, haven't you? Something is off. Your clothes never wear as well the next day. Your hair never falls in quite the same way. Even your coffee tastes wrong. Our institutions are crumbling. Nobody trusts their neighbor anymore. And you stay up at night wondering to yourself, how can we get back? This is the Alphaverse mission to take us back to how it's supposed to be. But that begins with finding the one who can stand up to Jobu's perverse shroud of chaos. And you think it's me? Why else will we risk everything to get you out of here? All right, so that is uh, Waymond, played by Ki Hui Kwan. Alpha Waymond. Alpha that, Waymond, that that's scene, right. Yes. Yeah, he is Alpha Waymond in that one. Uh, explaining that Evelyn kind of knew there were multiverses, knew, had an inkling that something wasn't right with the world. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the the multiverses and the way that Jobu Topaki is uh, wreaking havoc. Right. And it's kind of one of those, you know, uh, one of a couple scenes where they do a really good job of very quickly doing a lot of exposition to just kind of get you what you need to know in the so moment. Keep to keep watching. Keep, to keep watching, basically. <laughs> well, and we, we had a hard time finding a clip because... A lot of it is visual. As so we were looking yeah. for just audio, it was difficult to find something that was just dialogue because yeah. so much of it is showing you through crazy editing and VFX. Yeah. And- what I love about the dialogue specifically in that one is it's sort of it's sort of a microcosm of what the whole movie does, which is just all these nuggets. And uh, and keen '90s fans will notice. <laughs> now I I missed this. My wife pointed it out to me, but. Uh, that there's two lines in there that Kiwi Kwan says that are actually lines from the one hit wonder, uh, the story of a girl. It was like absolutely story of a girl mm-hmm. um, by the band Nine Days. And and what was 
even funnier about that is if you look into how that happened, Daniel Kwan, who wrote that part of the script, he said that just came out of him. And he goes, this is really good, but it sounds like something. And he actually Googled it after the fact and was like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and then instead of just like coming up with something different, they decided, let's just use it. So they reached out to John Hampton, who's the, the lead singer and main songwriter for this one hit wonder. And he was, not only was he happy they were going to use it, but he was willing to actually write a couple different versions of the song to actually get put in the movie later on. There's a scene when they're sitting in an RV where there's a country version of the really? song playing. And it's always really quiet. Like you barely hear it. But after I read this article, it was in Mashable. I read this article. I went back and watched those scenes. And then it's actually in the dominatrix scene uh-huh. he wrote a version of it with lyrics about he says this is the story of a dom <laughs> <laughs> jeez that's, that's and isn't and you you really have to listen for it i watched it several times and i missed it until i read that article and then i had to go crazy. back and hear it yeah that what's what's really funny about that to me is that in every possible universe a version of that version song of that exists song. <laughs> That's so funny. Like something that's consistent is that somebody writes Writes a version of that song. Yeah. Story of a girl. Yeah. (laughs) Or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I feel like you could watch it over and over and over and see new things like that every time. Yeah. I'm not saying I did. I'm just saying as I was watching, I'm like, oh, I bet there are, there are shots that match up in places and there are things that just can't possibly be unintended. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a movie that is uh, the title is its own synopsis, right? That like it really is about everything, everywhere, mm-hmm. all at once. Then, it, like the the level of thought that went into what is what does that actually mean? What would that mean? And I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we back up a little bit? Oh, okay. Just real quick and say, you know, welcome back, everyone. Yeah, we took a little we bit took of a, a break. break. It was a good, refreshing time for me. I caught up with a ton of movies. Oh, man, I so think did you I. did too. I watched a lot. Yeah, because I mean, we've we've you know, touched base quite a few times in during this break. And I mm-hmm. know you've been watching a ton. I've been watching a ton. Yeah. Um, you can see it on our letterbox. I've yeah. actually been keeping up with it. That's a new thing. Is yeah. that, that like a New Year's resolution for I you? Guess, so, I guess so. So yeah, if you don't follow us on Letterbox, it's a good time to yeah. start. Um, if you know, find us on there. I'll, I'll put a, a link to our profiles in our show notes. And I don't know if you do this, right? I don't think you do, but I actually keep a running sort of uh, ranking list of my year in the movies. And, I did, and, yeah. I I started it, um, and um, you know, so that actually might be a good segue into kind of getting into our format of what we do. Yeah. Um, because at least for me, like this is this rains on top. It's pretty much rained on yep. top of my list ever since I saw it. Yep. You know, and it was one of the earlier movies I saw for the year, twenty twenty two. Yeah. So, so why it don't was we just definitely the first movie I was excited about to see in twenty twenty. Yeah. So this is a March release, so it was earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, if you know anything about movies, that's typically a dumping to, ground. Yeah. But I know you saw it before I did. Oh. So. Do you want to just talk about maybe like yeah, the I first time? Or, I, I really you know? wish I had seen it in theaters, yeah. for one thing. I didn't get a chance to. Um, but I got an uh, opportunity to watch it. I just streamed it. And we had to watch it in two installments, which is, I don't think it's the best way to watch it. But it's actually not the worst movie to do that with, I don't think. To kind of like take a break and process for a little bit and then get into it. I purposefully didn't find out much about it. Like I had kind of mm-hmm. heard, like, go into this movie without knowing anything. And the first half hour, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to keep up with this. Like, it feels like there's a whole lot going on. And then magically, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, it 
just clicks. It it falls into place. And everything that was going on for that first half hour, it it's all necessary. Like it's not like they were they were confusing you just to be like a, a, a trippy sort of movie. It was like, no, we had to get all this stuff out there so that what happens later makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I both Kelsey and I were just floored by the movie and I was thinking about it for a long time. It was immediately a five-star movie. Um, I, I told so many people to watch it, but I didn't want to tell them anything about it because I think it's a great way to watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen it, it, go watch it before you keep listening. <laughs> Please do. Um, yeah. And, uh, that was about it. I hadn't seen it again since the rewatch Until the rewatch. for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was a five-star movie you said. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that we, we don't just hand those things out. No, that, no. that's, you got to really work for that. Yeah. So yeah. Impressive. You know, for me, it was a movie that I didn't really know was coming i mm. i didn't know anything about it i did you see swiss army man yes i did i did too and i was a little mixed on that movie um i thought oh. it was interesting um but it didn't stick with me all that much i really liked it yeah yeah it's weird but yeah it's weird and to me it was nothing more than just uh the daniels follow-up movie but then i had um a few friends who caught it um in the theater and they were both just like this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is uh, kind of blew my mind. It was yeah. like what both of them said. I was like, okay, that's two different people saying this. And then you saw it, and I remember you saying, um, I saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, I, I think it should just win every award, every <laughs> single award. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, you're like acting, editing, visual effects, like everything. It should just win everything. And I was like okay, I guess I need to see this movie. And what was lucky, you know, what's kind of lucky about it is because it was a March release and because it was a movie that like is, it was more, it was kind of an indie. It was put out by A24. Um, It came out pretty quickly on DVD and Blu-ray. And so by the time everybody was talking about it, it was already available to to check out. So I checked it out from the library, um, watched it by myself. And um, you're right about the beginning of the movie where, I wouldn't say I was getting frustrated with it, but it was just, it was so chaotic and hectic and frenetic. And I was having a hard time just following, not so much what was going on, because it was pretty clear as far as the stuff happening in the laundromat, for instance. Right. But just like, what's what's the point of all this? Like, yes. where is this going? Is this going to go somewhere? Because if some if people are talking about this and where they're saying their minds are blown, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not seeing it yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, this you is know? crazy, but yeah. And then obviously everything just kind of blows up from there. The other hesitancy I had with this movie was the only thing I knew about it. You know, what I had read was just that this was a multiverse movie. And my mind immediately Mm -hmm. just went to, oh, is this like a Marvel movie? Yeah, we're all just doing multiverse now. And I even thought, is this somehow connected to the Marvel universe? Like, I didn't really know, because I knew so little about the movie. And then I was just like, I really don't care for Marvel that much. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just don't know if this movie's going to be for me at all. Yeah. But yeah, it really won me over. It mm-hmm. was a movie. Now, I will say, when I first rated it, I gave I did four and a half oh. uh, because it was like it needs to simmer a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then over time, it was and actually as the year went on, I was mm-hmm. like that definitely was like the best movie I saw of the year because it was just so unlike anything I saw. Yes, you know, or anything I've seen ever. Yeah, and um, that's got that's got to say something for me to. <laughs> it's like unlike anything I've ever seen ever, and it was great. That's got to be a five-star movie, really. Um, and then um, I talked my wife into watching it. So we watched it like a month or two ago. And then my third time watching it was for the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it is like solid five-star movie. Yeah. 
And to the point where I think this is a movie that um, beyond just how I feel about it and how you feel about it, um, I feel like we're getting to participate mm-hmm. in a movie that is going to be incredibly influential. Yes. Possibly a game changer. Yes. And I'm talking game changer in the way that like Star Wars was a game changer. The Matrix was a game changer. Yeah. And like, I think this one in its own way is just going to be very influential in how all movies are made from yeah. now on. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, there are, there's, there's so many things about it that go against the tide of movies yeah. to be such a big hit and not be part of a series or a a sequel or a reboot or anything is incredibly rare, incredibly rare for an original movie. Yeah. And then for such an original movie, like a movie like you've never seen before, that's astounding. And so on the rewatch, it's funny. What do you do with a five-star movie that you liked better the second time? I guess I go from calling it a five-star movie and the, my favorite movie of the year um, to now I think it's the, it's, it's the movie that will define these times. I think so. I think so. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty high place to be starting the podcast. With, well, how, I kept trying to think like, how are we going to start this podcast? Because it's a movie that lends itself to a lot of interpretations, mm-hmm. but it's also a movie that kind of doesn't in a way like the Daniels have a viewpoint. And they are putting it out there for you. Right. And if you didn't know what that was, they put out an essay on A24 hmm. that is really worth reading. I will certainly put it in the show notes. I thought, though, it might be interesting to, to kind of start with how they start their essay because it might center us a little bit, hmm. like where we could take the conversation. Okay. Um, it actually speaks very well to what you were saying about this movie being about our times mm-hmm. and representing our times because that's how they start the essay. Hmm. The essay says... Um, dear movie lovers, there is just too much, too much to think about, too much to hold on to, too much to fight against, too many people to talk to, too many restaurants to eat at, and definitely, definitely too many movies to watch. Hmm. And at the end of 2016, when we started to write everything everywhere all at once, we were already feeling the too muchness of it all. We asked ourselves, why add to the noise? Um, I want to skip in that. And this is really the part that I want to kind of talk about is how they define what this movie is. So the way the Daniels put it is, writing everything everywhere all at once was a foolish prayer to a cold, indifferent universe. Hmm. It was a dream about reconciling all of the contradictions, making sense of the largest questions, and imbuing meaning onto the dumbest, most profane parts of humanity. We wanted to stretch ourselves in every direction to bridge the generational gap that often crumbles into generational trauma. We scoffed at the false dichotomy of Scorsese cinephiles versus Marvel fanboys and instead asked, why not both? Hmm. It was an attempt to create the narrative equivalent of the theory of everything, a big data approach to myth-making, a post-genre deconstruction of traditional narrative, a maximalist's manifesto for surviving in the noise of modern life. And holy shit, these two clowns named Daniel were not up for the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) The essay is a beautiful essay where they go on to talk about how much the crew made it happen, the cast. And that to me, it's, it's not even just so much like what they set out to do and what they wrote and what they made, but the more I dig into the making of this movie, how it was lived. Yes. Like the crew, the, way they, the way they treat the crew, the way that the people they brought in for to do the choreography for martial arts are like, it's called the Marshall Project and they're YouTubers. Hmm. Like it's, and they're in the movie. The two kind of oh, like the fighters, main, the, the two main, main fighters. 
The two guys who put trophies in their butts. Yes, the butt plug, the butt plug guys. And they're like famous, like they got famous on YouTube. So it's like, it is of our time. It feels like the too much of it. And it also, I think, represents the times and how it wears it all on its sleeve. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. It just is probably the best example I can put forward of like what represents speaking to our times cinematically right now. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I didn't overstate it. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if you haven't looked into the making of the movie, it's really awesome. It's, it's really incredible. As as much joy as the movie brings, the making of makes sense of that because for two screenwriters who had such a complete vision, because people will say you read the screenplay and everything is there, like the way it plays out was written into the script to the point that um, the one of the main songwriters from Sun Lux said that he he thought his PDF was messed up because he's like, there's no way this page follows that page. Mm. Like that Sun Lux being who was the they hired wrote the to do score. the music. Yeah, yeah, they wrote the score, uh, Oscar-nominated score and Oscar-nominated original song. But despite that like very specific vision, they brought in people to say and gave them license to do their thing. The costume designer, her wheelhouse was the kind of crazy Joe Boo Tupaki stuff, but they also said, design everything. Like, Michelle Yeoh's stuff, like her her more mundane things. They didn't they didn't have any notes. They just said, you use your sensibility and come up with it. Yeah. And she came up with perfect stuff. But Jamie Lee Curtis came in with her costume. Mm-hmm. I saw, I read about that, yeah. Where At least not fully, but like there the were parts of it. The necklace that she's yeah. wearing and the way that she has a watch over her brace. yeah. You know, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis was like, I think she would have, she would wear that. You right. Know? And the hair and the makeup, they all had like full control over everything that they were doing. Um, Sun Lux on the Song Exploder talks about that it was really collaborative when they were mm-hmm. writing the the final song and like all these other things. And um, it's just, you you get that feeling through the movie. What I remember thinking when I was, especially some of the stuff that Stephanie Shu's character does, Joy Jobu Tapaki. I kept thinking, like, this is so many layers of comedy kind of going on. I don't even know how you would write this and have an actress yeah. know what to do with it. Right. Like, how would an actress know how to interpret that? Yeah. But it makes sense when I had realized, when I read that, you know, they had most of her character written out, like you said, but then they saw her audition, mm-hmm. and she was doing things in her audition, just some of the other little flourishes that she was doing, and they loved them so much that they started, they went back and kind of wrote some of that stuff in, but that was after they had seen her audition and kind of take the character into new places. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's just such a, it feels like the crew was really devoted, it feels like the cast was so into their characters mm-hmm. that they provided their own input and then the Daniels were receptive to that right to the point where they were rewriting the script around it and things mm-hmm. like that you know yeah. and I think that's such a going back to again what's going to influence movies is I think being a lot more aware of that collaborative approach and the way that they are so generous in just always crediting people and you know and yeah. it's, that it's two people that made the movie like it's the Daniels that's like a very right. generational thing to me yes. like it's it's getting away from that myth of the auteur mm-hmm. and getting into this idea of like, no, movie making is a collaborative thing. Mm-hmm. And the movie itself is just much more of a movie about affirming life and human connection. And then it just gets yeah. lived out in the making of the movie. Which, this is interesting to me, as I think of it. The two biggest movies, the two kind of front runners are Tar and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Tar is exploring the problems with the 
the actual genius, the genius idea, and yeah. the the way that like a person's singular vision ends up building structures that insulate them from critique or from mm -hmm. accountability or from proper behavior, like from needing to be yeah. a good person. Any accountability, really. And people who are invested in that power structure and the way of that working will decry it as, you know, cancel culture or you can, can't say anything. There's no free speech. Like, what's the person supposed to do? Everything everywhere all at once in the Daniels, I feel like, is what you do. It's the answer to When that. you break those yes. structures down. It's To me, it's like we are at a time right now where we need new stories. Yeah. We need new ways to tell stories and we need stories that don't just kind of repeat the generational sort of problems that we keep running exactly. into. And I feel like this movie, it breaks ground in every way, mm -hmm. but in that very, very deep way, it breaks ground in even just, not just the, the form, it breaks ground in the method. Mm -hmm. it, it breaks ground in the ethos behind it. Even yeah. like it's a different mm -hmm. thing going on here. Mm -hmm. It feels fresh. It feels different. Yeah. You know, and look how it connects. It connects like crazy. I was telling someone the first time I saw it. Again, I didn't want to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. I was trying to explain like why they should see it. And I said, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where I was doing like a belly laugh, mm -hmm. but like joyful crying yeah. at the same exact time. <laughs> right. And then stepping back and looking at what I was watching and saying, how is that even working? Yeah. Like different parts of this movie have gotten me the three times I've watched it. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I watched it, the part that got me was the raccoonie part. Yeah. Where she's, you know, telling him to get on top. And, and there's yeah. a lot else going on in other universes yeah, right. during it's that all time. Apart, yeah. But the cumulative effect of that mm -hmm. was this very emotional, joyful feeling I had. But I'm laughing at and crying at <laughs> Michelle Yeoh yeah. riding a guy yeah. like ratatouille but it, she got it wrong in the way that parents get stuff wrong right. and called it raccoon which is so funny and it felt like a throwaway joke and it felt like a throwaway joke but that is what this movie does so well is it takes the absurd yeah. and makes you feel a lot of sincere empathy for the most absurd things he took everything away from me Rekakuni taught me so much. I, I didn't even know how to boil an egg. They taught me how to spin it on a spatula. This is useless alone. We're all useless alone. It's a good thing you're not alone. Let's go rescue your silly raccoon. Well, yeah, I, so like we've said so often, this movie is a breath of fresh air in so many ways, but I think one way, so I, I've had a lot of grief this last year mm. and, um, and I was listening to a WTF where Mark Maron was talking to Pat Oswalt about their losses and they both said because of the grief that the crying is right on the surface sometimes and it just comes out in ways that they didn't, they don't expect. And one of the things that makes them cry and they both said this and I've said this recently too like guaranteed to make me cry is people being kind. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Especially when they don't need to be. And so we live in a, <laughs> we live in a world where being kind is so rare now. 
you show you're strong, you show whatever you, 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 people seem to be wanting to be mean. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care how, what you feel about what I'm going to say. I feel like saying it. I don't care what your needs are. They're not my needs. I'm going to go for my needs. Yeah. And, and so like when people are kind, it makes me just grateful that the glimpses of the world I want to live in and I want my kids to live in exist. Mm -hmm. And with that raccoon part where this guy had been her enemy and, you know, she could have exposed it, like all these things she had in that, in that universe, she had every right to expose him and to be mad at him and to delight in his downfall. And she faced with everything as a possibility. You can do everything. She is the chosen one. She could do what Jobu Tabaki does. She can switch universes. She can bend reality. And she chooses to be kind. Right. That's another way this movie yeah. runs counter. Yeah. And but you know, it, that's a transformation in her. Yeah. It doesn't happen right away. Of course. You know, and and so and she's and she learns so close it, to not doing she that. learns it from Kihui Kwan. Mm-hmm. And there's a real parable of kindness there because she kind of resents a lot of those characteristics in yes. her, you know, if you want to call it like the real universe. Yeah. She kind of sees those as weakness. Mm-hmm. She sees them as annoying. Yep. Um, she sees them as him being foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get within multiple universes, you get him kind of explaining that. Yeah. And that that sequence with Wayman throughout the multiverses just being good yeah <laughs> um it's such an amazing line when he says in another life i would have really liked just doing laundry just, and oh texts with you i mean that's incredible yeah and but, it's in that and it's it's all shot like yeah, that, that in, Wong, the mood, Wong Kar Wai, in the mood for love style just just sexy as hell that's really. the other thing like <laughs> that they got they nailed the different genres that yes. they they portrayed this movie had a like a they, it's reported twenty five million, but they said it's actually closer to fourteen million dollar budget. It's insane, insanely low. And they they joked like we made a movie for a Marvel catering budget. Yeah, but what the the lines that I really want to have indwell in me is are when he says, "When I choose to see the good, it's not being naive. This is how I fight," and that is so true in this world right now. Choosing to see the good is resisting. Yes. And then the other one is when he says, be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I know you're all fighting because you're scared and confused. I'm confused, too. All day. I don't know what the heck is going on. But somehow... It feels like it's all my fault. I The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please, be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. It's, it's just, again, the multiverse isn't new. It was not, not many people had been exploring it when they started writing it. In 2016, interestingly enough, 
but we've seen Marvel multiverses and then like the Rick and Morty style of multiverse, mm-hmm. which is all just like now, I'm not familiar with Rick and Morty at well, all, but if, it yeah. leans into the nihilism. Yeah. Okay. Heavy. And the Marvel multiverse is really silly <laughs> compared to uh, like after this movie came out, I wonder if Marvel got together and was like, we can't keep doing the multiverse because we suck at it. I was my see, and I'm I'm so far except for Spider, from expect, except into for the into the Spider Verse is awesome. I even like Into the Spider Verse, and I really don't like Marvel that much. But and you can correct me if I'm wrong. My assumption with the multiverse in Marvel was it was sort of just a way out to keep things going. It's yeah, like, I mean, it largely, was, and it was like it was like we got because like, Spider Into the Spider Verse became huge, and they're like, well, let's do that with everything, and then it's yeah. like, well, let's do it poorly with everything, but. The tendency of the multiverse idea is to sort of really lean into that nihilism. And so even to just end the movie on like, you can do anything. So be good. Yeah. So choose good. Right. That is countercultural right, right, right now for, for right. lack of a better word. Well, and, and also just that idea that is like when she's basically saying, I could do anything. I could be anywhere. Why would I want to be here with you? Yeah. And it's because of love. I hate tattoos. And of all the places I could be, why would I want to be here with you? Yes, you're right. That doesn't make sense. Evelyn, Bishola, Gola. Let her finish. Maybe it's like you said. Maybe there is something out there, some new discovery that will make us feel like even small pieces of shit. Something that explains why you still went looking for me through all of this noise. And why, no matter what, I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. The line that I like to really kind of like, <laughs> like it somehow tattoo it into my organs, mm-hmm. you know, is just the idea of like, there is always something to love. Mm-hmm. You are not unlovable. There's always something to love. Even in a stupid, stupid Dude, universe where we have hot, hot dogs, dogs for fingers, <laughs> we get very good with our feet. <laughs> and they play Debussy <laughs> yeah. on the piano with the <laughs> But like, yeah. But this is a beautiful, like yeah. someone would with their feet. Like, it's just astounding. Again, there's... So many different ways that you could decide to look through this movie, but one way is you could actually look at it as a pretty traditional sort of like Christ figure. Mm. Where because there's even some biblical references where there's some Abraham Isaac stuff going on where she's kind of being pushed to kill her child. Mm-hmm. Like there's a part where you as a viewer are like, well, is she going to do it? Is she going to? I mean, the the God figure, her father, yeah. is basically saying you need to do this. Yeah, just like God says to Abraham to mm-hmm. kill Isaac. Now, the Daniels, I think, and kind of rightfully so, theologically, kind of say, no, she's not going to do that. Like, it's insane. It's insane. Well, like, why would she and, listen to that? I mean, um, if you didn't get it, she would literally be killing joy, killing, killing her joy. joy. Yes, and there's like, so much with names going on By giving into that, yes. she would be killing joy. Yes. But also, throughout the whole movie, everybody's searching for joy. Yes. Like, right? They're, they're searching for or running from joy. Right. So, I guess what I'm saying is it's not a leap to kind of place a Christ story on this also because she does have a death. Like she dies. Yeah. And then she basically goes down into 
hell or the closest thing to it. The you bagel. Know, the bagel. <laughs> the bagel is like hell. It's like what's worse. It's worse than death. You know. Uh-huh. Um, and then existential despair. It, and is then worse than she death, yeah. rises again and resurrects and basically transforms everyone by mm-hmm. saying, "This is a new way to live: yeah. kindness and love." And she yeah. does all the violence in quotes. I'll put it in quotes. The violence changes to expressions of love yeah. on that staircase with the different ways that she basically fights everyone. She frees and everyone. Free, she yeah. frees everyone. She, she becomes the savior at right. that point. She actually brings joy to everybody. Yes. And and, and then the, the final redemption is trying to redeem what's absolutely nihilistic and meaningless. Yeah. You know, that becomes sort of the mission expressed through her daughter, mm-hmm. um, which is expressed in cosmic ways and also expressed in a very small and extremely touching family drama. Yep. And I think the challenge of the movie, and this gets into where I think the Daniels were, they, they mentioned in that essay I was talking about, the idea of the generations. And, and, and I was talking about how like this is like a new story. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge is take these things that we feel deep down are just true, things about kindness, things about love, that this is the answer. And the challenge being to break that generational cycle of resorting back to the old stories, resorting back to the old ways of hurting each other. Right. You know, there's a line also where she finally, again, in that transformative moment after she sort of like embodies this type of savior, she turns to her father and says, I am no longer willing to do to my daughter what you did to me. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of hard choices now in this time yeah. that we have to make. Yeah. And I was reading another mm-hmm. interview with the Daniels. They were kind of talking about one of the challenges that this younger generation and, and maybe even like our generation where we're not really young, but um, we have boomers for parents mm-hmm. um, that one of the hardest things that we need to learn how to do is to be wrong about things, that that should be rewarded to admit you're wrong about something and right. change to mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. But that there's also a generational aspect where we want the older generation to give us <laughs> the chance to be wrong. Yeah. And yeah. that we need to extend that to them as well. Yeah. And that we're going to hope that the younger generation extends the ability for us to be wrong as well. Mm-hmm. And that that's the only way we're going to move forward. Well, the big part of that is Michelle Yeoh has changed, is changing. And feeling like a failure is an expression of ego to an extent. I don't deserve to feel this way or to live this life or whatever. So there was something bigger for me, whatever. And to say like, well, whatever, you're who you are. And yeah. like... Joy should have left if Evelyn wasn't going to change. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie like bears that out really well. Yeah. And the reason, kind of talking to what you're you're saying about like admitting you're wrong, part of the ego of saying, I deserve better than this, is acting like you haven't done anything wrong or you, you aren't wrong. And it's so funny that the reason she's the chosen one is because she has every choice has been a failure uh-huh. in her life. <laughs> And it's such an uninspiring, inspirational speech where he says, you're capable of anything because you're bad at everything. (laughs) And if generations could understand how they've screwed up and say like, oh, we were really bad at that. Like we have been racist this whole time. Mm -hmm. We've been sexist this whole time. We have been... We've been abusing our privilege. We've been creating a system that perpetuates um, inequality. We're really bad at this. Yeah. Now, every other possibility is open to you because right. you've been, acknowledged yeah, that's true that yeah. the way you've been doing it is bad. Yep. And so that's that there in itself no is a brilliant Everything concept. Is yes. Yeah. 
what you've been doing sucks. Now you can do better. Right. And that's where Evelyn is at the end of the movie. Yeah. She's like, and maybe something's going to, she says something like, maybe something's going to come along and make us feel like even smaller pieces of shit. And that's, that is true. Every progressive group is shown to be in some way regressive by the generation that came after. Mm -hmm. Every generation is going to show you how you've screwed up. Right. Every generation is going to show you that you're kind of, you kind of suck. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And you need to say, yeah, that is better. And the younger generation needs to see that it doesn't suck just because it was them. Like that there were good things yep. about it yep. and that they can change. Give them the yep. opportunity. And it's really profound because Evelyn thinks that Joe, Joe Butapaki is trying to kill her. And Joe Butapaki says, I wasn't looking for you so I could kill you. I was looking for someone who could see what I see, feel yep. what I feel. And working with young people and then also having when i was a young person been so depressed by seeing how much the world sucked i wasn't looking for someone to make it better or looking for someone to tell me i was wrong i was looking for someone to say you're not crazy mm-hmm. you're not alone and that yeah. i think has been what young younger generations have felt about older generations it's like stop telling me i have nothing to be depressed about stop telling me that Life is great. Like, it's not. Mm-hmm. Somebody admit this. And it takes Evelyn admitting it, but having the wisdom of having lived longer and having the wisdom of Waymond and other people in her life to say, yeah, it does, but we can do better. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard. It's be kind <laughs> and it's see the good. See the good doesn't mean ignore the bad, it means among all the bad still see the good. Mm-hmm. And a Marvel movie would not redeem Joe Butapaki. She would never pull her out of that. Like she would push her in to save everybody else or whatever. Right. Let me just also pause here and say, I think the idea of a literal everything bagel is one of the most brilliant <laughs> yes, ideas yeah. I've ever heard of. Yeah. Like what if there was an everything bagel? Like, yep. Yeah. That's crazy. No, literally everything. Yes. Was on a bagel. <laughs> it's, it's it's genius because there is an everything bagel, like we are aware. Right, yeah. But it's also genius because it's a bagel, so it's circular. And yeah. and that's another thing I want to talk mm-hmm. about is circles are all over this movie, and I think it again goes back to ideas of things being cyclical. Yeah. And ideas of things being like on being sort of repeated down generations, but um and I I need to give credit where credits due because I watched a video essay that talked a lot about this. It's okay. by a guy who I love. He, I actually mentioned him in my Spencer uh, oh. talk. He, he goes by the name, he goes by the fake critic on YouTube. He does great video essays. But he talks about this, how even the idea of basing the movie around taxes and laundry are cyclical, repetitive things that we yeah. all have to do. Mm-hmm. And the movie is very much circles, circles, circles. The, the movie starts with a mirror. Mm-hmm. That's a circle. And it's okay. the three of them doing karaoke, right? Yep. Karaoke. Yep. Oh man, what a like what a what a moving opening shot if yes. you've seen the movie yeah. before. And then you've got like it kind of cuts the laundromat, but it definitely lingers on the dryers, which are circular. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to the IRS, you know, with, with Jamie Lee Curtis as the IRS auditor, Deirdre Bobirdra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, she definitely she circles the um yeah. the tax form. And then of course you've got the bagel. Even visually, there's just so much continuity. And and that's another thing that could really take you into nihilism, this idea of like yeah. everything is just repetitive yeah. and cyclical and why nothing's ever gonna change. Nothing, well, I mean like 
true detective time is a flat circle yeah. like that that was all that was a very nihilistic show yeah. i feel like making nihilistic statements is praised so much as being profound yeah or just being true and authentic right. yeah you know and real yeah um and that's a lot of and like honest. rick and morty sort of stuff and like that's super popular and stuff like when uh Chad, the Rakakuni guy, says, like, I'm useless alone. And Evelyn says, we're all useless alone. I can imagine so many other shows or movies that that would be the line. Like, that's a joke. Like, oh, we're all useless alone. But then she says, good thing you're not alone. And, like, gets onto his shoulders <laughs> right. and starts pulling his hair. Like, it's, it's, I don't know why this movie doesn't feel trite or, exactly. or simplistic. Yeah, It might be. And I know this is, it's, it's, it's a real paradox, but I think it's partially the absurdity. Yeah. It's like the more absurd it goes, mm -hmm. it kind of takes nihilism into a different direction. Yeah. That type of dark philosophizing that we see in a lot of entertainment that sort of gets at things being meaningless mm -hmm. and life being meaningless. Um, that's one way to take it. And then there's the absurd route. Absurdity is usually, I think, closely related to nihilism yeah. uh, like nihilistic thinking mm -hmm. tends to sort of embrace absurdity a lot so if you can kind of give answers to some of those things within that absurd environment it somehow has carries more meaning i mm -hmm. feel like when you have a world where people have hot dogs for fingers mm -hmm. and that's the world where you're you're you actually have the most empathy for the IRS auditor because mm -hmm. you're sad for her mm -hmm. because it's got this layer of absurdity over it. It almost kind of gives you this channel where you're, you're almost open to more empathy mm -hmm. where, for it. If it were just played straight in this universe, they are lovers. Yeah. And, right. and so isn't that interesting that, you know, in a different world, you could actually love the yeah. person you despise the right. most. Like that's such a trite kind yeah. of like, that sounds like awful, right? Yeah. You give them hot dogs for fingers. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, because everything's possible. Yeah. Including this really stupid scenario. Yeah. That's also possible. Yeah. It is possible for you to think about the person you despise the most, a world in which mm -hmm. they need you. Yeah. And they love you. Yeah. And inviting you to laugh at it first and then yeah, be laugh like, first Whoa. and then Okay. And then kind of get at okay, that thing that I would have thought was trite. You know, in this world, yeah, because it's so crazy. Yeah, can still be meaningful in this absurd world yeah. where everything's possible. And also, I mean, the rock scene is super meaningful. It is. And yeah. when the rock starts chasing the other yes. rock, it's yeah. like, oh, that's really funny. Like it's, and then she chases her off the edge of a cliff, right. and it's like, oh my gosh, like, right? This is <laughs> that's also a masterclass in just camera storytelling mm -hmm. because there is there's dialogue but it's not audible at all so like the actual talking between the two rocks has to happen with like cuts that was originally voiceover by stephanie shu and michelle yo but it was michelle yo's idea to put it in subtitles oh okay which was a brilliant yeah because why would they idea. talk there's mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i read that like the daniels were kind of like it was good to have this time where you could just kind of sit in silence in a movie that was just so chaotic to right. just give you a little bit of a breather. Again, going back to just the technical aspect of how you craft a great movie. Well, and that sentiment is why the song, This Is A Life, is the way it is. The Daniels said, we want like a 90s style uh, end credits closing song. Like Celine Dion, like Brian Adams. Like yeah. we want that kind of song for this. 
And Ryan Lott, the main songwriter for Sun Lux, at, at, for that song, started writing, or his in his head, he was like, okay, something like really upbeat, really like kind of party to end it. And he didn't want to sing it, so he thought, oh, Mitski would be a really good singer for this. And then he had the idea of a duet, and he said, you know, it'd be awesome if we got David Byrne. And they reached out to mm. David Byrne, and David Byrne got back to them within 24 hours. He like watched the movie immediately, and he said, and they, he said, oh, cool, here's my idea for the song. He's like, no, it needs to be quiet. Like, people need to think. Mm. People need to sit with this. And then Ryan Lott almost immediately wrote what the song became. Mm. Like his first sort of pass at it became the backbone of the song. Um, and so they, they were thinking like, this is a lot to throw at people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we need to give them time right. to process it. So yeah, as we're, you know, rhapsodizing over just everything we love about it, it's just a well, it, they, they know what they're doing. And then just practical effects that they did. They just love Michel Gondry and his idea of doing most of these effects in the camera. Yeah. And so a lot of the a lot of the scenes where Michelle Yeoh is like being transported into multiverses is like her in a wheelbarrow being mm-hmm. pushed in slow motion and she has to act in slow motion. You're getting pushed into a closet and then they have like LED lights, like cheap ones mm-hmm. that they just put just on the side of the Just in front of the camera, yeah. And then uh, Daniel Kwan took a camera, a small, tiny, like cell phone camera that shot in 4K and just whenever he would walk somewhere, he would just take video of it. And then that's the stock footage that gets sort of put on cyclical repeat on these LED screens when mm-hmm. she's getting thrown into the different multiverses, mm-hmm. you know? Nothing fancy, right? but it's amazing. Super it effective. It feels like such a huge movie. Yeah. Anyways, it's just groundbreaking. Yeah. Another way, another way that this movie is just breaking new ground. You know, yeah, a lot like our podcast, actually. Yeah, breaking that's I, that's probably why it's such a good pairing and why we <laughs> connected with it so much. <laughs> but I, we haven't talked so much about Michelle Yeoh, who it's like the glue that has to hold it all together, right? And is dumbfoundingly good. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, talented. Everybody knew she could do martial arts, and to like see her do it again is awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't know she could be this funny. No. Like, she was a comedic actor. Although, she had done some Jackie Chan movies that required some comedy. But uh, it's 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 always great to see, and it's Ki Hui Kwong too, uh, somebody who, for I think American audiences, Michelle Yeoh hasn't been really in their consciousness since uh, well, she was in Tiger, she, Hidden Dragon. She was in crazy rich Asians. Wasn't she? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was kind of when she kind of her first kind of like, yes, step yeah. back but into before American that, consciousness. You're right. Yes, before yeah, that. And yeah, I yeah. think she, well, then she was, see, I knew Michelle Yeoh as one of the bond girls. In yes. Tomorrow never, <laughs> yeah. tomorrow never dies. Is that what was it was? That, I mean, that's the name of one. I don't know. It if was, that's the one it was in. the second Pierce Brosnan one. <clears throat> And that, by the way, was uh, until some of the later Daniel Craig ones, that was one of my favorite Bond films. Oh. And she had an amazing motorcycle, like car chase scene oh, yeah, where they were handcuffed right. together. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's just great to see her back and like in the Oscar conversation. Now, I yeah. mean, it's, it's going to be a big. Well, she won the Golden Globe. She won the Golden Globe. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a big task for uh, her to beat Kate Blanchett yeah. for Tar. Uh, Which I do like, by the way, you were talking about Tar earlier, and I yeah. I really love it for what it's doing. Yes, uh, I do too. Side note, just side I do note, too. footnote, yeah. But I love Everything Everywhere All at Once yeah. a lot more in Michelle Yeoh's performance. I, I agree, yeah. Um, there's just so much she's asked to do, Yeah, and she does it perfectly, all of it. 
And yep. if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff, she was like part of the collaboration. Like once she got on board. But you're right. I mean, I, I'm just so, I don't know, because I feel like, I feel like I should have known more about Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. I watched this movie and I'm like, I should have been following her yeah. all along. Yeah. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm like, sorry, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I owe you an apology. Yeah. Like, where was I? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I mean, she's always seemed like the kind of person, and maybe she is, but who's just very serious. And she seems like not only with like the comedy that she's able to pull off so well in this, she also just seems like she's having fun with it. Like yeah. that this was a joyful movie, ex- movie making experience. And to that end, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis seems like she was having a blast (laughs) on this movie. (laughs) Like she is so funny and so committed as Deirdre (laughs) Badirdre. When she first staples the paper to her and the shriek that she gives out is just like so great like it's yeah. monstrous yeah it's yeah. like a creepy well we knew mind. she was good at screaming from her <laughs> halloween yeah um yeah and i i mean it's not just michelle yo who's asked to run the gamut everybody in the movie yeah. is asked to be so many different kinds but of you, characters you think about okay if you just even take jamie lee curtis and michelle yo and mm-hmm. break their interactions down you've got so many different um layers of in one universe, they have to play it entirely straight that they've got hot dogs for fingers, but they are like completely <laughs> and totally like in a yeah. serious romantic relationship. Yeah. And you believe it. Yeah. They said they wanted to make that movie like, or that universe like the movie Carol. Oh, okay. And her, her character's arc is great too. You know, like the... Which character? Uh, oh, sorry, Deirdre. Oh, yeah. Um, that like the way that she connects with Evelyn at mm-hmm. the end. It's it's amazing that the script tied it all together, but it's amazing that the actors made it plausible. Right. One of the performances that I feel like I forget about is Jenny Slate. Like I forget that oh, she's yeah. in it. And she's she's definitely on the periphery, but I, I love that she shows up at the party. Like I don't know why. <laughs> like right. I don't know what's going on in her life that she is who Besides she's talking to, to or why she party. came to the laundromat <laughs> party. <laughs> But I love that she did. And I I love I also love that Jenny Slate's in it and is pretty muted, you know, relatively. Like she could be anybody, but it's I just really like that it's Jenny Slate. And yeah, I don't know why. Right. Well, because I think if you follow Jenny Slate at all, she's another person who kind of embodies this idea that we're talking about of like these new kinds of stories. Mm. Like the Marcel the Shell movie, yeah. which I haven't seen I haven't yet. Seen it either. But that from what I've heard is another one that's like a very just sort of life-affirming movie mm. about kindness. Mm. And if you've read her book, Little Weirds, mm-hmm. it slides in perfectly with everything everywhere mm. all at once. Like it's just sort of embracing little absurdities in life and finding joy in little places and trying, trying to just sort of find some meaning in all of this that has more to do with connection with human beings. Mm. And I don't know. I, it might just be like my little collection of things that I kind of hold tight, but I feel like there's a movement. This movie would be part of it. A lot of George Saunders writing would be part of it. I would put Jenny Slate's kind of thing and little weirds, the book she wrote in yeah. as part of that. Like just this, this like little Joe Parra talks with you. Yeah. Just this little, like it's not twee. It's like the struggle itself is just a struggle of figuring out like yeah. what do we do with the chaos that's just all around us all the time. Yeah. It just feels like an avalanche that you don't know how to get out of. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not twee because it's sincere. I mean, it's with its eyes open. 
Right. You know, it's not Pollyanna. No, and I think it takes seriously into account the way that without this level of processing, we're all just going to drive deep into depression. Mm-hmm. Like that we need these, we need these like these ways to help us process a lot of this stuff in this world that we live in right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm very grateful for this movie. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I am too. I feel like it came at a good time for uh-huh. me. That was another thing that was in the Daniels essay that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that they said was movies can change lives. I'm just going to read it. Movies can change lives. Lives, Though the cynical parts of our hardened hearts often come close to forgetting this fact, it is why we became filmmakers in the first place. Films changed our lives. We carried those films with us into the writing process as we weathered years of increasing political polarization in a global pandemic. All the while, our news feeds filled ever more with contradictions and chaos. We felt the too much grow into too, too much. Everything was stretching, all the seams were being exposed, and most troubling to us, our movies, our stories, our cultural glue felt too slow to keep up. Mm. Film production moves at the speed of years, the world was moving at the speed of milliseconds. Mm. I kind of feel like this is a movie that answers that. Like, how can a movie speak to us still? Yeah. I feel that already, like, just this last few months, all of our movie theaters seem to be shutting down around us. Right. (laughs) Yeah, And I've had these existential, to me they're existential because movies have been such a part of my life. Just right. this question of like this thing that I've found so meaningful through my life, movies. Like can they still have that kind of impact where you actually, they actually do change the way you think and they change the yeah. way that you sort of live your life. Um, again, that is another reason why I think this movie is kind of a game changer because mm-hmm. this year it was the movie for me that did that. Like yeah. it was the movie that said, Maybe we still can make movies. Yeah. And maybe we can still do them. And they're, they don't have to be huge franchise superhero movies with astronomical budgets that have to make a global profit. Right. They can just be these small movies that put together a crew that loves each other mm-hmm. and make a movie that you never thought could be and made. Actors in the way that it was believe made. in the movie. And and, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also like you can do anything in filmmaking, everything is possible. So, what do you do? Do you go the cynical route and make algorithm-based yeah, right. design to make money? Or do you say something earnest? And I'm glad they did. I'm glad they said something earnest. And you know what? It freaking paid off. Yeah. Like, and look what... Yeah. Making an earnest movie that any, how, any algorithm would have said, that's a terrible idea. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like what the hell are you doing? Netflix is yeah. not going to like this, right? Yeah, <laughs> and people connected with it, right? And it found its audience, and that audience did all the work for it, really. Yeah, like I mean, this movie blew up because people who saw it and loved it Couldn't said, stop talking about "said it. you need to see this movie, you yep. will love it." Yep. It reminds me of like, okay, this is kind of a weird reference, but I remember watching a. The, it was an early that '70s show <laughs> where uh, Kelso. He's trying to explain to everyone Star Wars. And he just can't. Like, it's so different that he's just like, he, he just like, nobody can quite get like what Star Wars is to him. And he, he just like, the whole episode is him just like having trouble explaining how great Star Wars is. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I felt like that was this movie. It was one of those movies where it's like, it's so crazy that there was a part of me that's like, I don't know if this movie's for everyone. But then again, I don't know if it's for anyone. Yeah. Like, it's just for people. You just want to have a fun ride and laugh for a little bit. 
you can watch this you movie and that. just do that. If you want to really kind of think deeply about some stuff, mm-hmm. this movie's definitely got that for you. Yeah. If you want to have all of it, if you yeah. want to have a fun ride and think deeply, like right. there it is, you know. Yeah. And if you just want to marvel at kung fu action scenes and great acting, <laughs> you yeah. got that yeah. too. Everything you, know? you want. <laughs> Why not Oscars? Reward right. it with all of it. Right. You know, I think it I, 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 I have I a feeling I have a feeling it's not gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be too too out there. Um and then it'll be one of those that years later everyone will be like the movie that should have won but didn't. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um I mean, I I think I don't think there's uh, any question about whether we're best buds or anything no, on this, this is, one. This, this is a lot of fun a, to talk about actually. Yeah, it's a I'm lot glad. of fun. I I you know, it, it happens every time and I say this every time. I I came in here thinking, "Oh, I don't even know what to say about this." Right. We worked through it together. If I were doing this alone, I'd be useless. In that way, we're a lot like the Daniels. Yeah. And I came in here. I said, I don't have anything. And you said, get on my shoulders. <laughs> you're and not we've, alone. I've done this. I've done this whole podcast. Well, I started on your shoulders and now you're on mine and you're tugging it, on my hair. Right. And, you know, we had to do some weird stuff with the boom mics to make it work. But we just put you know, one up high and went yeah. down though. Yeah. It was a new setup. But, uh, you know, a movie like this makes us think maybe we should try some new things. Yeah. Everything is possible. That's right. All right. Well, um, best buds it is. Yeah. And uh, why don't we talk about what we're going to do in our next episode? Why don't we? All right. So, you know, this is the first episode of the year, a new year of our podcasting. um, And it was great to kick it off with everything everywhere all at once. Uh, But we're going to try something this year where we're going to use this podcast as a way for the two of us to kind of catch up on movies that we've always been meaning to see know that we should have seen a long time ago uh the kind of movies that you would be we'd be almost like sheepish about admitting that we haven't seen mm. and so we're gonna call this uh our gap year we're gonna fill in those gaps mm-hmm. of movies that we should have been watching all along right um and treat this like a you know a gap year yeah so we we need to still kind of come up with the full list for the year yeah. but maybe we'll be updating our uh, our watch list on letterbox yeah. so you can follow us there and say like what yeah we definitely want a lot of those comments like i, I what a lot of what what gives huh? you what gives you the right Whew. to talk about movies yeah when you haven't even seen highlander oh yeah i haven't seen highlander oh there we go folks is that one we should add to the list let us know. It's not going to be next month. No, it's not. That's not. We that actually, wasn't teasing that. We actually already said the name of the movie that we're going to choose for right. next next month, and uh, we 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 talked briefly about Jenny Slate. Yeah, and we're probably going to talk about her a lot next month because we're going to watch Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Right. Another Oscar nominated movie this year. So this is actually, I think, maybe more of a continuation of mm-hmm. the project we were doing during our break, which was just kind of catching up with a lot of stuff and. Stuff from last year. I think this just happened to be one that both of us were like, yeah, we still got to get to that one. Yeah. I've wanted to see it since I first saw the trailer. I mean, it came out pretty early last year. Or was it September? It premiered in 2021, but then it was released in June. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're you're always good with those dates. Yeah. I I appreciate you for that. You're welcome. It hasn't really been very easy to see. No, it's not streaming anywhere. Not yet. For free or for right. as part of a subscription. Right. So maybe it, it might be a harder one for everyone to watch with us, but I think it's only like $5 to rent yeah, digitally. something like that. So if you can spare the $5, do that. I'm hoping maybe it'll be out on DVD Blu-ray very soon so you mm-hmm. can hit up your local library and grab it. Um, but that's what we're going to watch. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward did to you, it. Did you watch any of the like... 
it was like a YouTube thing before. Yeah. Was it? Did yeah. you watch it? Yeah. I didn't. Oh. So I like this. This is like, so maybe I got to fill in those gaps too. Oh, maybe. Like, will You're I know what's totally going on lost. if I if I haven't been, you know, if you haven't been part of the, by the YouTube Marcelvers. The Marcel. Yes. I don't know. The you should Marcel. just watch them because they're they're funny. I like Jenny Slate. Yeah. So. Well, that's it then. We'll watch Marcel the Shell with shoes on. If you don't know what Marcel the Shell with shoes on is, go find those old YouTube clips. Yeah. Get on the Google. Yeah. And type that. It don't. Not Marvel. Marcel. Marcel. Yeah. There's one letter difference. Right. And if you mess up that letter, you're going to yeah. get taken into... Marvel the show with shoes on yeah. is... It's a different movie. I don't know if that's... Yeah. I think that's in production <clears throat> yeah, right now. Probably. Uh, it's going to be a little limited series on Disney+. Into Plus. the Marcelverse. The Marcelverse. Yeah. With shoes. With shoes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the superpower. Right. right. Yeah. Got to have the shoes. Yeah. I hear there's a universe where Marcel the Shell doesn't have shoes on. Oh, sounds like a place I don't want to go to. No, it's too dark. None of us want to go. <laughs> Nobody wants to plumb those depths. Right. So, anyways, if you have seen it, great. Let us know what you think of it. If you've got ideas for movies that you think maybe we haven't seen, or you're like, oh, if people haven't seen this, this is a crime, and just check and see if we have seen it. Right. Don't turn us in oh, as gosh. far as the crime goes. No. Like we don't we need we don't need trouble with the law. No. Not on this podcast, no. that's for sure. No, we 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 try to we try to we we, we don't like running we a are, foul of Johnny Law no, here. No, we are upright citizens yeah. here. So give us a chance to right. tell we, you our alibi. To make it right. We had every intention of watching it. Didn't know it was a crime. Oh, hold on. We didn't know it was a crime? No. That's usually gets you off, right? Yeah. You tell the judge you didn't know it was a crime. Oh, I couldn't do that? I couldn't. I I didn't know that I I didn't know it was a crime to not watch Highlander. You didn't. All right, get out of here. Right, but make it right. Go yeah. watch that movie. Yeah. And who knows? You know, we yeah. talked about this. If if you really are passionate about a movie that we haven't seen, I mean, come on and tell yeah. us about it. Yeah, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, you could be a, a guest, or there are several ways that you Definitely. could uh, let us know your thoughts on a movie that we can share on an episode. We'd love to hear them uh, anytime. So to listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. And if you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast, call us at 847 847- Three zero six nine five three two, or email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Koss and edited by Nate Koss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.